0: this has the, the opportunity for the greatest turnaround in college football exists here today, and it's not one to be taken lightly. Sam! Colin Klein under center, takes a knee, that is going to do it. The state Wildcats are the Big 12 champions. Tremaine Thompson will field it at the 5 to the 10, pass the numbers to the 20. 25, look out, 30. He's at the 40, to the midfield strike,
1: to the 40, down the far sideline. 10, 5, to the house. Wildcat touchdown
2: for Tremaine Thompson.
0: Welcome to Bring on the Podcast, here's your host, A. Hernali.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT is here with us today. JT, you get warmed from the game yesterday yet?
0: Yeah, I I warmed up uh, late last night with uh, maybe some, uh, what was I having last night? It was uh, some mint chocolate. Vodka thing. I don't know. It was, it was tasty, but I warmed up pretty quick right. once
2: I got home. Today is the assistant sports editor for the Des Moines Register, Danny Lahan. Danny, thanks for coming back and joining us again.
1: Yeah, you betcha. If, uh, if I come on once every two and a half years, does that make me a friend of the podcast? Or, you know, how do, how do I get labeled there?
2: Well, see, I mean, in a lot of cases it would, but I don't know if you noticed your fancy team is kind of beating my fancy team's to ass today, so I don't know if we can tell you a friend right now.
1: Yeah, well, who who
2: hasn't this year? <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point. I uh, yeah, I missed my chance to get Pat Mahomes, and it's been all downhill from there. <laughs> but anyway, you were maybe one of the few to be able to watch the the Iowa State game last night on the Longhorn Network. The Cyclones, I think, came in with really high expectations, and, and Iowa State Twitter seemed pretty down yesterday. So you know, what, what kind of. Before we get to, to Saturday's game against K-State, sort of what happened for the, the Cyclones?
1: Last night's game was really a, a battle that was lost on both sides of the line of scrimmage for Iowa State. Uh, they hadn't been pushed around in the trenches like that since, really, the loss to Iowa in the opening game of the season. 13-3 setback at Kinnick Stadium in Iowa City. Um, you know, riding the five-game win streak that the Cyclones had been on uh, before last night's game, uh, Brock Purdy had come in and kind of saved things against Oklahoma State, and then the rest of the story is him being able to really create a lot of confusing situations for opposing defenses. But Texas had the speed on the ends to really keep up and contain him uh, and hit him throughout the night, and it was really just it was a matter of a, of a whole bunch of hurries and hits as Purdy was releasing the ball that kind of ended up leading to his 10-for-23 evening and one in which Matt Campbell kind of pulled him for safety late in the fourth quarter just because he had been battered so much. As to the part about, you know, Cyclones Twitter really being downcast, I think they had allowed themselves to believe that, you know, there was a chance that they might make a Cinderella run to the Big 12 championship game. Everything Mm -hmm. seemed to have been falling their way with a West Virginia loss to Oklahoma State uh, Saturday afternoon, and so that really made things from their mind a kind of when and you might be in a situation given the game that's coming up this weekend if that's a prelude to kind of what we might be talking about so sure. you know it was kind of really this huge build up for a game that wasn't on anybody's radar come mid-november and then it was a flat no-show and that doesn't surprise me that there was kind of like a, a puppy dog who'd been kicked again yeah well regrettably
2: um us as kansas state fans are familiar with uh, getting geared up for a big game and then seeing the team let us down so but but that didn't happen yesterday. Fortunately, Kansas State looked really good, and JT, I think, probably should address that a little bit. You know, what changed for, for Kansas State to really have a turnaround? And how much do you think the, the weather played a factor? It seemed like a lot of that went in K-State's favor.
0: Well, it's kind of one of those age-old things that you expect to see from a Texas team coming north in, <laughs> you know, November, or early December. Is they, just, they seem tight. They're not comfortable with the weather. And I think you know, those first couple drives for Tech, like, it, it didn't affect them quite so much. Maybe they, you know, they were still warmed up from the locker room or something, and they came out, and they looked halfway decent, but, you know, it wasn't very long before, you know, they started to get tight, and they started trying to force things. Of course, I think, again, a lot of that was how well the K-State defense played, which was really, you know, their, maybe their best effort of the year, maybe the best effort of a K-State Defense in, you know, several years really. Because even with the cold, you know, you expect Tech to be able to throw the ball and move the mm-hmm. ball. You know, that's what they do. They're they're built to go crazy on offense. And it was it was really kind of interesting how well the K State defense came out and responded and looked like they wanted to beat, you know, Tech into submission. Really, especially <laughs> on the the lines, some really kind of aggressive blitz packages that I don't think we'd seen. All year, some three-man fronts, some, you know, some zone blitzing, guys coming out of the, you know, the linebackers. And it was really just really nice to see how well the K-State defense performed against a pretty solid tech offense, whether, you know, regardless of the weather.
2: Yeah, yeah. So now Kansas State's in a position where they could actually get to a bowl game with a win over Iowa State, which is kind of crazy. And I remember now, for some reason, that's – that's a primetime game? Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yes,
1: it, it, it's going to be at 6 o'clock. I can't remember. I, that must yeah. mean it's an FS1 game. Yeah. There's a chance that it was going to be at 7 on Fox if Iowa State was yeah. still in the thick of the Big 12 yeah. race. But I know that we, when they had to make the original determinations with Iowa State still being on the fringe of the picture, I think that's kind of what elevated it to primetime status. Plus, with all these games being played on Black Friday, too, uh not a lot of choices left for the Big 12 to fill those windows.
2: Yeah, well, good to see the powers that be given some respect to Farm Again. So, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> um, JT, first, before we really get into I wanted to ask you something I'm a little bit worried about. and haven't seen any indications that this is happening, but I worry about with the fan base. And I know we've talked about this before in the context of Bruce Weber. Do you think there are going to be any fans who say, I don't want Kansas State to win this game because it might allow Bill Snyder to keep his job?
0: No, I think, you know, most fans are to the point where, you know, they feel pretty confident that Gene Taylor is is ready to do something with Snyder, whether it's, you know, let him go or force him to retire, those kind of things. I think there's a kind of a prevailing sense that, that he's ready to retire. He just didn't want to go out with the same kind of, you know, pomp and circumstance that he did when he retired in 2005. That's kind of the attitude is that's not really his personality. And so he doesn't, he didn't want to do it again. Yeah. Um, Cause he, you know, it's just made him uncomfortable. So I, I think regardless, you know, if, if maybe he gets that sixth win and goes to a bowl game, then it's great. And he may want to hang on. But I think at that point, you know, Taylor steps down and says, no, you're, you're going to retire and we're going to send you off into the sunset with this, you know, bowl victory and it'll be great. And then you can retire and go teach and, and hang out with your grandkids and that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, really, especially for the future of the program, you know, you want those bowl practices. You don't want these guys sitting on their butts (laughs) in December not being able to practice because, you know, because of how the rules are. And, you know, if you're not playing in a bowl, you can't practice, at least as a team. Right. And really then, you know, if I would hope that Snyder announces sometime soon if if he's going to retire or you know, what's going to happen, but it just, you gotta, you gotta do something.
2: Yeah. Now. Yeah. I agree. And we won't, we won't dwell too much on that. Cause there's still a lot of speculation there, but I think I agree with you. Like Nick lerkey and others who have been on this podcast. have said Gene Taylor deserves the benefit of the doubt, at least for the time being. And, you know, best case scenario, maybe may a little speculation in this talk inspires Kansas State to, to come out and play really hard again and aims on Saturday. So yeah. knowing that it could be Snyder's last game. So we'll see. Meanwhile, it, of course, is going to be senior night for Iowa State. Danny, I mean, I know watching Kansas State, there has been a noticeable energy difference, especially on defense, between Kansas State at home and Kansas State on the road. Has Iowa State seen any of that? Do you expect them to, to look different this game than they did in Austin?
1: Oh, I mean, they're, I suppose they're better on defense at home, but I think the bottom line with the Iowa State defense is that it's just better better across the board in a whole bunch of positions, particularly up on the front four for the most part. They have quite a few unsung heroes who plug up the run game. Uh, Ray Lima is a name that you probably haven't heard too much about, but he's kind of the unspoken MVP of the entire unit, really. They felt the loss of Eni Waziruke, uh, who has been out the last couple of games with a hamstring issue uh, that probably will sideline him through the bowl game as well. But I think the home environment is probably just more about the regular fan feeding frenzy than it necessarily is anything related to the defense. Uh, mm-hmm. For the last five weeks or so, Iowa State's maintained the top spot in the entire conference in almost every relevant statistic, and that didn't change after this week. And it will still be a, a rather tall order, I think, for Kansas State to do much more than get its way out of the low 20s. I mean, that would be a yeah. that would surprise to me.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that, and um, our brethren over at uh, Nation's right right now he, like, took a deep deep dive into the defense. So that's it's worth worth a look for any listeners who want to learn more. You know whether however you feel about the weird red wedding name they gave to it from the Game of Thrones thing. But uh, <laughs> anyway, you, you talked about the line. Those guys have been good, but what's most fascinating to me, especially as as a Kansas State fan who's seen. These coaches have so many problems recruiting athletic linebackers. It's, Iowa State seems to to have a surplus almost. You got three freshman middle linebackers who are playing, you know, I mean, do you think case they can have one be happy to, to take one off their hands?
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't Iowa State definitely doesn't want to trade any of them. Uh, Marcel Spears isn't a freshman, but he'll soon be graduating to bigger and better things. and Orion uh, Vance is the lesser known of the two of the two main freshmen. Mike Rose is Mike Rose is fantastic. I have no idea where Matt Campbell and John Haycock the defensive coordinator uh, unearthed him. but he is he is going to be a name that if you're following Big 12 conference football over the next several years, that you will get to know because, I mean, barring some unexpected regression in his development, I mean, he already just, he has all the physical tools already, and he is so smart uh, in terms of his field reading for a freshman. He's a future NFL player, and that's something that just really has a whole lot of people excited up here in Ames because that's just something that doesn't happen around here. You know, folks thought Alan Lazard was going to get drafted last year, and that was a, a, a gigantic disappointment. And that would have ended the longest draft drought for any of the Power Five schools, hmm. um, and so they had to wait one more year for most likely Hakeem Butler to uh, leave and, and go get drafted. But uh, there are future pros on this Iowa State team, which is another reason that everybody just continues to be so excited about what Matt Campbell's doing up at Ames. Yeah,
2: A draft drought. Do you know what that is, JT? I don't. I don't understand. Uh,
0: no, we don't have one of those. <laughs> I believe what we have is a, called a streak.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Something like that. <laughs>
2: uh, and I guess, you know, while we're talking about linebackers, we probably should go ahead and give a shout out to, to Justin Hughes. Just the progress that he's made. You know, JT, is it, is it fair to say he's been the biggest surprise in this defense?
0: Yeah, I think it's something maybe we, as fans, kind of expected from him coming in. He was, I mean, he came in as a gray shirt, but he had A little bit of hype based on, you know, he was one of those early Georgia guys. There were a lot of fans calling to have him in, you know, play earlier than he did. And so maybe it was kind of an expected surprise. Just wondering why he was on the bench for so long. And I think maybe you saw that early with, you know, maybe that like – his play against Oklahoma, we missed some tackles and stuff, but really, uh, having that speed, that athleticism, he's really stepped up. It's been kind of amazing to watch his really rapid growth just in the last, you know, three or four ball games.
2: Mm-hmm. And so, Danny, you know, one thing I was wondering with the Iowa State offense, uh, or the Iowa State defense—I'm sorry—at least the way the Wide Night Light guys were describing it—is it's almost like a dime is their is their base package. The safeties, I think, are their top two tacklers. So I was wondering if you know you'd expect that to kind of say the same, or if they might change against a Kansas State team that everybody loves to load the, load the box against because everyone knows Kansas State can't pass. Uh,
1: you know, you think that they would, but or at least watching you know eleven games of a regular season with your team, you would think that that's what everyone would do. I think they're confident enough in their system and their playmakers to basically have them be the ones that dictate the pace and the style of game that they want to play, Uh, and especially being at Jack Trice Stadium, I really don't see them, I don't see them diverting too much from their base coverage schemes unless Kansas State comes out and surprises them in the first half. I mean, Iowa State has done a very good job of of dictating the pace of most of the games the past six or seven weeks, with this past weekend being an exception. No, actually, I think you're going to get their bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Whether that's a smart tactical thing to do, I, I mean, is another fair question. But I don't think that they're—I think they're stubborn and proud enough of their unit to uh, not divert from what they've been doing. Yeah.
2: And then, as far as the passing game, it seems like K-State would be wise to just probably not throw to Brian Peavy's side. That'd be the best bet.
1: Well, I mean, to pick your poison. I mean, DeAndre Payne's not—he's no slouch. I mean, they've two senior corners over on on each side who really have been doing an excellent job for the most part. But, I mean, yes, uh, PV is the more experienced starter. And despite his uh, spelt makeup, 5'9", 185, I think he is, he has amazing range and a good read on the ball. I think he's still second or third in the Big 12 in pass breakups. Yes, don't throw there. No.
2: <laughs> and so given the, the strength of the Kansas State offensive line, you know, how good they've looked, um, Tricky lately running the ball, um, and, and given what you said about... Texas kind of having its way with, with Iowa State, would you say that's the, the weakness that K-State should be looking to exploit, the defensive line?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, if there, if there is one, just because of what rare attrition there's been, has been up near the front, and there suddenly are questions uh, after this past week. You know, the thing is, is that run-oriented attacks just, I mean, they've been out of style in the Big 12 for, what, a decade or more now. <laughs> And so I think Iowa State is better suited to handle a lot of these, you know, RPO, quick spread, flank pass type of offensive systems. So I don't necessarily know if Kansas State will give Iowa State similar trouble that they saw last week, but at least in terms of scheme, they're probably set to confuse them more than most teams in the conference um, have been able to for the large part of of the league season.
2: Yeah. And JT, you know, I think we, we talked early in the season a lot about Skyler didn't always look comfortable in the RPOs or, you know, the, the QB read. Do you think he's gotten better at that and making the right choices?
0: Yeah, I think they've maybe changed up, or at least it looked like they changed up some of that Saturday against Tech and calling more designed runs one way or the other instead of making it a, a true RPO it's the same look, it's just, you know, a designed handoff or a designed keeper instead, and maybe that's you know what it's been all season, and they've just gotten a little better at running it, but I think he's gotten better. I know he ran that kind of system in high school, so it's not like he was unfamiliar with it. I think some of it's just, you know, he, he was a little worried. Mercury just did a an article on him, and I, he was, I think, maybe just not confident in himself, and running some of that kind of stuff, and so... <laughs> He's getting better. He always looks better when Alex Delton isn't available, which he <laughs> wasn't against Tech. So it's uh,
2: well, with the exception of the, the Oklahoma game, Delton wasn't available, was he? Delton?
0: Oh yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's a little different. <laughs> I don't think we were going to look good at, against Oklahoma, regardless if who was starting at quarterback. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I think he's he's finally figured that out. He's still just a, a sophomore. I mean, it's his third year in the program, but he's still just a sophomore, and so or some of that. It's just he's got to learn how to be confident, be kind of aggressive, and and I think he's he's done more of that as the season's gone on. Yeah, and, and it helps when an Alex Barnes is so ridiculously dominant <laughs> that they're keying on him, you know, and so that that makes it easier to pull the ball and run with it because. He knows that nine times out of ten they're going to key on Barnes, whether or not Thompson's just run for you know a, a first down or something, because right. Barnes is so lethal.
2: Right. Yeah, and that's, that's the smart play for a defense for sure. Uh,
0: and that's going to boost any young quarterback's confidence when you've got a, a back like that that you can not only can you count on, but you can count on the defense to do to respect him a lot more.
2: Yeah. And I still wouldn't mind, honestly, seeing Barnes get a little more involved with the passing. I think one of my favorite plays of the season is still that that deep pass to Barnes against Oklahoma State, I believe it was. Yeah.
0: Uh, And he uh, caught a couple good checkdowns from Thompson. It wasn't like, you know, those were deep passes, but... Definitely becoming a better safety valve, and I, I think that's important for Thompson mm-hmm. as well.
2: And so, Danny, that brings up obviously. I would say slimebackers linebackers are very good stopping the run. You know, how are they in coverage? Do they need to go out and do that?
1: Uh, I mean, it hasn't been as much of an issue because they rely on Greg Eisworth, who's safety. He's the lead, he's the leading tackler that you guys were trying, that we were mentioning back up from uh, right. a, a few minutes ago. They're decent spies. They don't necessarily go and chase. Receivers down too far into past the 10-yard mark, they kind of wait for help over the top. They really are a more delayed blitz and kind of hang-and-wait type of grouping. I don't really see too much in terms of being able to bait them into leaving their spots.
2: Okay. And I had another question on that as far as the safeties. I think it was I was reading your preview, and you had um, one of the guys, I think Braxton, and you had him listed as a star so I don't know if we'll hear that terminology on Saturday, but can you just explain what that is exactly? <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, I've been trying to get it explained to me for the better part of a couple <laughs> years. Matt says. Basically, I, I, the, the closest I can come up with is that it's essentially a utility man. I think, mm-hmm. I think there's there's other systems. There's a couple in the Big Ten that like to call this type of a position a rover. And I kind of think that that is uh, a much more accurate interpretation of what Braxton Lewis does. He definitely is like your ball hawk of ball hawks. He's able to slide in as an extra corner for depth on kind of short field situations, but they give him the freedom to kind of step up and be an extra hybrid. Not necessarily, I mean, he won't play like a linebacker, obviously, because of his size, but just kind Mm -hmm. of fill up one of those extra spots he is definitely your do everything kind of player, both in terms of taking up the linebacker uh, position and playing back in a safety uh, spot more 75% of the time, I'd say. Okay.
2: Okay. And then I guess, you know, the other big addition JT for the, the K-State passing game has been Malik Knowles. So what do you think he, he adds? It seems like he and Skyler have a good connection right now. Yeah,
0: he's, he's been playing really well. He's, he's a true freshman, and the game against Tech was his fourth game. And so that's really oh. one of the, like, the big questions for, yeah. for this week is whether or not he's actually going to play. It's like, well, do you sell out and put your best players on the field and yeah. make sure you win this game? Or do you maybe roll the dice and at least let him sit on the bench for a little while and see what happens without him? But he's definitely become the top receiving threat for K-State. I think the big thing is he's he's big, he's he's tall. I think he's he's over six foot, which is kind of rare for a K State receiver. <laughs> um, but he's also got some speed, and he runs routes really well for a freshman. I mean, he runs routes almost as well as as Tyler Lockett did as a freshman, which is exceedingly rare because Tyler yeah. ran routes as a freshman like a senior did. You know, of course, he's a. NFL caliber wide receiver, so okay. you'd expect that. But Knowles is really he really stepped up and has really played really well. And so it's you know, it's nice to see it. I I'm torn on whether or not <laughs> I want to see him against Iowa State. I'd really like to see him get back to using Isaiah Zubermore. Yeah. And it, it looked like he's out of whatever doghouse he was in because <laughs> he started against tech instead of coming off in the, the second quarter. So we'll see what happens, but Knowles has definitely been a very nice addition to this offense.
2: Yeah. And uh, real quick the, the redshirt rules you talked about, I thought uh, Matt Hall, I think, wrote something. About, somebody asked Snyder about that. And he said, you know, that this, the answer you would expect from Snyder, he said, Oh, I'm not really bothered by that. I don't change my, it doesn't change my approach at all. But, you know, I kind of hope that that's not really the case, right? I mean, if he's not changing his approach because of that rule, that would almost be coaching malpractice, wouldn't it?
0: Right. And I think we've seen, like, I think that question was asked kind of early on, especially after the OU game, when it was like, well, you know, we've got some freshmen. Why aren't we doing something with them? And it's it definitely changed in the last, you know, especially the last four or five games. We've seen a lot more freshmen on the field, not just Malik Knowles, but Lance Robinson's played. We've seen it looks like John Holcomb is, is the backup quarterback. Luckily, he hasn't had to play, but there's several of those guys that have hit that four-game mark, and or or a three-game mark, and or you know they're they're in position where they could play if they needed to. So, yeah. you know, I think he he turned pretty quick on that answer <laughs> to like, well, crap. I mean, yeah. we got to we gotta figure out how to you know do something with these guys. Yeah.
2: Well, and Danny, I mean, obviously Iowa State's playing some true freshmen. Has that question come come up for Matt Campbell?
0: Um,
1: no, not particularly. The ones who are playing, I mean, you, you look at you look at Mike Rose and Orion Vance, who we talked about previously. they played in all but one or two of, of, of the games this season. Mm-hmm. And when the switch was made at quarterback to Brock Purdy, the coaching staff was a lot more confident in his abilities than they were letting on when they unleashed him in, during the second quarter of the Oklahoma State game, what, six weeks ago now, and he's certainly passed that threshold already. That's not really that much of a concern up here, no. Okay. People want wins. People want them now. They smell a change and blood in the water against a lot of Big 12 teams right now, and they just want to win for as long as Matt Campbell is going to be here. Yeah. And frankly, that's a off-season to off-season uh, question, <laughs> given his you know overall rising star. Right, um, right. It's very much a real thing, and I think people are— wanting to just enjoy every minute that they get to see a, a team coached by him out on the field up here. Yeah.
2: And I want to talk about that more later, but for now, let's go ahead and, and switch to the other side of the ball. I don't know. We need to spend too much time on this. But, you know, one of the things we saw Texas really get after Brock Purdy, 5 sacks. We talked about this a little before the podcast. Um, it seems like that's going to be the K-State's best bet. They certainly did a good job of, of pressuring Texas Tech's. QB yesterday. I guess what can Purdy do if, if you don't put that pressure on him?
1: Well, uh, well he. I mean, he's averaged, uh, going into the Texas game, he had averaged 10 carries himself. And it's not so much the type of carries that you would imagine of, say, like a, a Colin Klein or something trying to evoke, you know, memories of a few years back for uh, your listenership. But <laughs> it's more of just a escape, a general escapability He's not like Baker Mayfield running around there or anything like that. But he can do just enough to get outside the pocket and throw accurately in that 20 to 25-yard range. And when you've got someone like Hakeem Butler out there, 6'6", 225 with speed, I mean, if he can get even a shred of an opening and you've got Brock Purdy throwing with moderate to sometimes well above, acu- uh, above average accuracy at distance, I mean, that's not fair. I mean, there's a reason why that Iowa State's offense in the five games that Purdy had played leading up to the Texas game, they had averaged 34.7 points out. I mean, the defense is good, but I mean, he has been able to make some incredible plays that have kind of left me, I mean, I mean, have left me very impressed uh, before last week. Texas figured something out, but I think you also have to credit a little bit to that too, not having David Montgomery for the first half after he punched a Baylor player in that crazy skirmish a couple of weeks ago, too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there, there's, there's several things that play there, but Brock Purdy will be a headache for a while.
2: So really, K-State just needs to pick a fight with David Montgomery is the key. Is that what you're saying? I, I mean,
1: well, <laughs> not him, because that, that was one of the most surprising developments of that fight, to be honest with you, is that David Montgomery is it really is a good leader. He's rather mild-mannered. Don't get me wrong, like, he gets emotional and so forth on the sidelines and is someone that the offense kind of looks to to get fired up. But he does a very good job of keeping his temper, especially since he, you know, absorbs all of those yards and missed tackles, and he gets roughed around just about as much as anybody in the entire conference does with his style. And yet he seems to be of a one-track mind for the most part. You could try to pick a fight with him again, I suppose, but uh, <laughs> I think that strikes one through three on, uh, on, on anybody being able to actually – get under his skin in the way that uh, that Baylor did a couple weeks back. That was just wild.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. That game really was wild to watch, especially there towards the end when things were just – it was so ridiculously chippy, and it was crazy, really. I, I've never seen Iowa State and Baylor <laughs> show that much animosity. I, you know, I could expect that from Baylor and TCU, Iowa State and Iowa, but not Baylor and Iowa State. It was just weird.
1: No, it was it was it was out of nowhere for everybody up here. It was surreal. I mean, that's I I kind of hate that word sometimes because that's the default. But I mean, it was a case in which I it was hard to believe what you were seeing there for a little while in the second half.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, JT, I don't know. Do you have any other questions about Iowa State's offense? Anything else you want to know on that?
0: No, just unless he you know can go and and slip something in uh, Purdy's tea for us or something. You know? <laughs> 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 we'll pay him off.
2: All right. So <laughs> no,
0: let's. Because we're going to need all the help we can get. And that was yeah. that was yeah. the kind of thing I I mentioned this on our on our Slack channel was just about everything that needed to go right for K State you know, against Tech went right, and I don't think we can expect that two games in a row. Yeah. And so this you know it, it really scares me. You know if Iowa State comes in mad at all. After their loss, this could be kind of ugly for the Cats. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I think that's. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned something along those lines, JT, because I, I think that's the unspoken part of the storyline here, the least for us so far, is that there are a lot of fans up here that, no matter what the situation would have been, whether the Big 12 Championship Game berth was going to be on the line or not, what is on the line is, which in a lot of fans' minds up here, about a decades worth of karmic retribution <laughs> coming to an in Ames, Iowa, uh, in late <laughs> November. Um, for one reason or another, whether Kansas State's the better team or the luckier team or the one that has the right officials' calls at the end or the buffoonery of Paul Rhodes in your back pocket, Kansas <laughs> State has found a way to win this game 10 years in a row. And I think that there's a reckoning. Uh, I think fans <laughs> think that there's a reckoning coming coming on Saturday one way or the other. Yeah.
2: And the big thing I'm worried about is, you know, as good as K-State looked yesterday and as it looked on the road, at home sometimes I, I was looking at the stats earlier today and in the four road games and this is skewed a little bit by giving up 50 points and approximately 10,000 yards to Oklahoma. But, you know, KSA <laughs> has given up an average of 34.3 points and almost 500 yards per game on the road. So that, well, it's that's
1: funny. It's funny you mentioned that number Luke, because when it, I, I mean, not knowing what types of things I was going to get asked or anything, if I had a score in mind, the number I was going to give you was 34 to 17. I, I kind of think <laughs> it's that type of game. Iowa State has done pretty well scoring the football at home all season, uh, no matter the opponent, and especially with Purdy, Th- this offense is at another level. And I just, I don't think that Kansas State has the horses to do much about it on the road. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, just Iowa State program. You, you mentioned now, you know, Matt Campbell, obviously a rising star. What a great job he's done there. You know, the post-Snyder era is going to come at some point, whether it comes this year or in the next few years. And Manhattan, Kansas, and and Ames, Iowa have a lot of similarities. I think, you know, in the past there have been some people who who would make the claim that, oh, you can't recruit to Manhattan you can't recruit to Ames. And Iowa State right now is ranked fourth, I believe, in 247's Big 12 rankings. You know, so let's let's just start there. How do they bring in... Do they do crazy things, like recruit during the season, or. You
1: know? I mean, I, what they what they what they do is have Matt Campbell as their football coach. I, you know, you can't. It, it's gonna sound trite. I mean, maybe, but the guy is affable. The guy is approachable. He is ultimately relatable to his players. He may be young, but he lays a plan and a process out, and he has a track record of development. And especially on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, when all you have to do is point to Toledo and three nine-win seasons in four years before even coming to Ames, and then he arrives in Ames, and Kareem Hunt gets drafted, and we've seen the last two years of what he's been able to do with the Kansas City Chiefs, and boom, instantly, well, not instantly, but within two seasons, he was taking Iowa State back to a bowl game and essentially winning a road bowl game over Memphis last year. I mean, the results are building in up upon themselves. There are upset wins over top 25 opponents. Up until two weeks ago, Iowa State had the most top twenty-five wins over top 25 opponents of any team in all of Power 5 the past two seasons. He gets up for big games. They build a program the proper way. They know what modern social media buttons to hit with alternative uniforms, and <laughs> upda- they're updating the facilities right now they really do a good job of not making their players worry about the fact that they're coming to Ames, Iowa, and more concerned about the fact that they're coming to a place where they can win and win in a good culture, and if they're good enough, really show some incrementally uh, good development toward taking their game to the next level. And that's just a recipe for success wherever you would want to drop Matt Campbell. Whether that's going to be in Ames or whether he's going to get a much bigger job you know, this next offseason or three years down the road or what have you yeah
2: and so you know you mentioned developing uh guys that are maybe less heralded, and certainly bill snyder's done a, a great job of that over the years but it seems like they've almost leaned on that too much and matt campbell's find a way to do that and also still win some big recruiting battles and bring in some of the big recruits so is it kind of you know is it, do they go for a mix of uh, developed guys and also you know big four or five star players
1: you know, I don't want to speak too far out of school here. Um, you know, we, we have a we have a couple of guys who are, who are focusing more on recruiting at the register than really I do. But the general philosophy just it, – it, it tends to be about – it really tends to be just more skill-based. They have very good skill evaluators at positions. And then when they say that the stars don't matter, I mean, I guess you can roll your eyes to a degree <laughs> – But for them, they look for fundamentals first. The big thing that I can think back to in the three years that Campbell's been here actually has nothing to do with a player that's going to reach the next level in the NFL and everything to do with just how horrible Iowa State's offensive line had been in the last four or five years that Paul Rhodes had been there. They couldn't keep a starting group together for more than two or three games at a time because of attrition and just general ineptitude. And already, last week being an exception, you know, there's much better protection. There are much bigger holes for the most part as this season has opened up for David Montgomery in the run game. I mean, you just, you see a team that from game one to game 11 and 12, each of his first three seasons, even the first year where they went three and nine, I mean, there was such a marked difference to what his football teams look like at the end of the season to the beginning that. I think that they really are more just worried about guys who buy in. And then when you got the cool young coach and the glitz of the unis and understanding how to speak 2018 recruiting social media, then, yeah, I think you're going to punch a half star to a star uh, above your recruiting weight in, in, in some places. And I think that's – I mean from the outside, I don't. you guys would be able to speak to this better than me. But that would be, I think, the observation that a lot of people up here have about how they perceive Iowa State passing Kansas State on the highway in terms of recruiting right now. It's because you're, because Bill Snyder is going about things with the same approach that he largely has for his entire essential three-decade tenure down in Manhattan. And for a long time it worked, but there's a point in which you have to evolve and you have to change, and it doesn't really seem like from up here that that's – taking place in Manhattan, and to that degree, I don't think that you've ever seen a bigger talent disparity between some of Kansas State's more recent teams and a lot of what they're facing on the Big 12 field right now. At least I can tell you that that's the perception from up here, from a program that's been
0: you know down for, God, the better part of a decade, mm-hmm. 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Danny, that, that sounds like K-State in the early 90s to a T. Bill Snyder was the hot young coach, and they were know talent evaluators everywhere and i mean it it's uncanny to me how much that sounds like where k-state was in the early 90s yeah. compared yeah. to the rest of the conference
1: now, hey if you could tell fans up here that they could you know lock matt campbell in a dark room for 15 <laughs> years not let him leave i'm sure that they would sign up for right that right now i don't think they have those types of expectations but there's an odd optimism that they think that matt campbell wants to actually build something here before <laughs> The inevitable opportunity comes. Now, you know, I can, in six weeks, Urban Meyer could resign from Ohio State and I might sound like an idiot. <laughs> but if Matt Campbell is pulling the wool over people's eyes and if he's on his way out the door to a big SEC job or to another place that, you know, wouldn't necessarily be on the radar right now, then he would have done a good job of fooling because that's another thing that works about this program right now. I mean, there is just a very genuine Nature about the way he goes about his his day-to-day operations, and it makes it really easy for everyone in the program, players, fans, his assistant coaches, the whole nine yards. I mean, everyone buys in, and it's a big bottle of kumbaya up here right now.
2: Well, JT, so I mean, how do you find the next Matt Campbell? I guess is the question, maybe, or uh, at least get to get some of that, or you just kind of have to, you know, at least get someone who, who's ready to to innovate on the recruiting trail and and to. Make sure you work it well, hard and doing the right things.
0: I think K-State's in maybe a little bit different position than Iowa State was at the time. I mean, you got to have somebody that's comfortable following, you know, a legend. True. true. And so that's going to be a little more difficult. But you know, I don't think they need to replicate that or replicate what Snyder did. You know, in the early '90s. That's mm-hmm. that's going to be a very tall order. I
2: mean, a lot of those things like the Google transfers, you know, that's not an advantage anymore. There are certain things that everybody else caught up to Snyder.
0: Right. I I think you've got to go, you've got to find somebody that, you know, has, has some recruiting ties, but maybe is like Snyder was willing to build and to do things differently than everybody else was doing, Mm -hmm. you know, zigging when everybody else sags or, you know, those kind of things. I'm not sure who's doing that right now. You know, I know there's some hot names that, are, are coming up for for k-state but you've got to be careful you, you don't want to do what what ku tried to do with charlie weiss you don't want to try to find a retread i think you know fortunately that's worked out for the basketball team i don't think that'll work out as well for the football team it's just the perceptions are so much more of, you know different
1: well given that let me um, let me just jump in here for a second because i'm sure you guys haven't talked about it exactly but with this idea of potentially looking for a new leader in Manhattan on uh, on your guys' end, what does the and you mentioned the Charlie Weiss retread concept? Well, you're about to look at it again down the road in Lawrence with less miles. <laughs> well, but I mean, but I don't know if I would call him. I mean, he's he's a different kind of retread. I mean, yeah. you know, one that one that might actually get Kansas to a point of where in-state recruiting suddenly becomes a problem again. I mean, I'm imagining that that if there is a, a different plan in place that there wouldn't be some sort of reactive move or something like that because of Les Miles getting hired in Lawrence. But given the fact that that move has been made, what's the temperature of what you think Kansas State fans are going to be wanting or looking for given what they're going to be staring at uh, in terms of redevelopment as they look at at Lawrence?
2: I don't know if the Les Miles move changes anything, honestly. I think KU is so far behind right now that Mm – I don't know. Like people are play.
0: mostly just worried uh, about uh, getting behind. In fact, they were four points behind, but
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, I think you know, most K State fans are just worried that, that KU will get a head start. That, you know, with the change that, you know, Les Miles is here now, they know what their future is and that will help them more on the recruiting trail than, you know, this continual well we don't know yeah. with Snyder. Yeah. Um, until he says he's done, he's not done. And so it I mean, kind of puts a, a damper on the whole program. But see, and to me, from up here, that seems like a big problem.
1: I mean, I would be a lot more worried about not so much miles, but just about the the situation that is, you know, congruently going on with this with this limbo potential. I mean, that just puts you so far behind the eight ball. At least I would think it would. Yeah, I mean, and that's no that's what your guys is recruiting, but
0: that's absolutely what K State fans are most concerned about. They want to win football games. But at the same time, looking for the future, you know, we can't have Snyder continuing to hold the program hostage if things are on the downslope.
2: Mm-hmm. So I guess to sort of bring this full circle, maybe that you know Bill Snyder's going to leave at some point. Let's assume just because it seems logical that Matt Campbell goes for greener pastures at some point, you know, in the next three or five years, do your Iowa State or Kansas State, you know, how do you what do you do within your program aside from just hiring the right coaches to to make sure that that you're not sinking to the bottom of the Big Twelve and you know that you're keeping a reasonable floor and keep staying in a position to, to make a run at titles every once in a while? You know,
1: I, I mean, I, I frankly have no freaking clue. Uh, <laughs> give, I'm, but I say that because I mean, give me an give me an example of a somewhat. You know, I don't want to say disenfranchised. What would be the word I'm looking for here? A team that just doesn't have the firepower to keep up with the blue bloods of the league. Give me one of those guys that's been able to really consistently hold their water for 15 to 20 years at a time that hasn't had a legacy coach like a Bill Snyder in any of the leagues. I mean, what, Stanford? I mean, that's probably the closest that we come nationwide. I mean, that's sure. the multi-million dollar question, and I don't really know if there's a good answer to it in the way that college football is you know, programmed. It's all about which version of a, of a blue blood is going to be rising and which other blue blood is going to be down for a little while until it decides to rear up its ugly head again. Look at Michigan. They're back. Hi. <laughs> going to make the playoff again probably here in a couple of weeks. I mean, that sounds defeatist, but I think you just have to operate within the construct of understanding who you are. And that's one thing that, that – it's only been with one coach. But, I mean, that's what everybody marvels and, and, and loves about what Bill Snyder has done in Manhattan for the better part of 30 years is the fact that he understands the environment better than anybody probably ever has in a place like Manhattan. And you just <laughs> – even if it is time for him to go, I you, know, you just have to appreciate how interwoven and – intimately aware of how to succeed he's been based on where he's at
2: yeah well what do you think jt would you agree with that
0: oh yeah yeah definitely yeah i mean it's
2: well maybe maybe one day we will see a farmageddon in the big 12 title
0: maybe oh maybe I, look, <laughs> I would i would it would
2: it would
0: it,
1: would it would it would it would make me no happier i mean i'm a mizzou grad for anybody who would be wondering and speculating, so I don't have I don't have any dog in the Big Twelve fight anymore. But it would I would love to see those financiers in Dallas roll over in their graves seeing an Iowa State Kansas State Big Twelve championship game. But it would do wonders for their gate because I tell you what, yeah. that puppy would sell out faster you couldn't believe those two fan bases would be ready and preparing to go for a conference championship game. The problem is, is that ninety five percent of the people who would be interested in watching that game would already be in
0: the stadium. <laughs> Right, I, I think that would be the one game where you could maybe petition the Big Twelve, like, "Hey, look, we it's K State and Iowa State. Can we please have this thing at Arrowhead?
2: Yeah, because
0: yeah. we're gonna fill that thing to the brim, half yeah. purple, half
2: red, and we'll have the parking lot filled with with the stadium filled too. Yeah, <laughs> so,
1: like, <laughs> watch you out, can sell overflow and or, or they'll agree and then uh, you know relegate it to the Longhorn Network too. So
2: <laughs> uh, well, we can dream. We probably should be uh, <laughs> wrapping this up, but before we did, I wanted to do something a little different. We, this is normally we do predictions, but you know, Danny already gave his prediction, and I think that's probably the reasonable. But, you know, it is Farmageddon. Danny alluded to it. K-State always finds crazy ways to win. So I want you guys to, to come up with a crazy ending for K-State to, to keep his trigger alive. So here's mine. My prediction is I Iowa State gets the ball late, up three, trying to run out the clock. David Montgomery reaches out for a first down. Eli Walker strips it. K-State recovers his fumble. Maybe makes a couple throws to get in field goal range. They're lining up for a 40-yard field goal to tie. Snap is fumbled because K-State's holder has had some issues with that. So he flips it back to Blake Lynch, who then throws to the end zone for the game-winning touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys Sounds got, got anything? Plausible. I know I'm putting you on the spot here. but
0: I'll let JT go first. That was that was my thinking. Some sort of botched, you know, snap on on a field goal, or or we get something uh, Iowa State's lined up for the game winning, you know, field goal, and Brock Monty gets a hand on it, and it bounces all the way down the field, and you know, guys trying to pick the ball up, and it just keeps bouncing. One of those that it just <laughs> seems like no, you know the ball is covered in oil or something, and it ends up bouncing through the back of the end zone, and K State wins on the most ridiculous safety possible. <laughs>
1: I mean, I like if, if we're going trip, I like pure him. fantasy here, I mean, I would like nothing more than to see and to hear that somehow Sean Snyder still has some NCAA eligibility left. <laughs> he walks out onto the field, kicks a game-winning 43-yard field goal as time expires, runs over <laughs> to his dad, throws a hand around his shoulder. They both basically put two hands in the air and say, peace, and they both walk out together, never to coach another Kansas
2: State football
1: game again, <laughs> even the pool game. And then they leave it to Gene Taylor to just pick his next coach. There, <laughs> that works.
2: I like it. I like it. That sounds great. All right. Well, uh, Danny, thanks so much for joining us. You can read Danny writes some things on Des Moines Register, also a lot of other great stuff from the reporters. And Danny, how can people follow you on Twitter? Uh,
1: at Danny Lawhon, with the last is the last name is L A W H O N. And of course, troll me later when the winning streak uh, gets eleven, and. You can- <laughs> You could, you could tell me how stupid I was for picking
0: a three-score game in this one. So,
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks, JT.
0: Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Danny. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, yeah, you betcha. You guys have a happy Thanksgiving.
2: Yeah. You too. Luke Thompson signing off.